Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by Tony Grammy and Emmy Award winner, and not just any Tony Award winner. She has won every single acting category Tony. She's the only actor to ever win all four acting categories. Audra McDonald. I hope you didn't just crash your car, honeys, because she's major, she's an icon, she's also the co-founder of Black Theater United, where I ask her, how can we support the theater community during the pandemic and beyond? Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. I'm so excited. So everyone, if you are a theater queen, pull your car over, sit down, because this is going to be quite a moment. Welcome to Getting Curious. Audra McDonald, who, if you do not know, is a record-breaking six-time Tony Award winner. She has a two Grammys, an Emmy Award, also like several other awards. Like it's literally, just to give you an idea, I'm, I watched this YouTube video where it took you a combined 23 minutes to accept all of the different awards in this one YouTube video. <laughs> so, whew. and basically our question for the week is... um, you know, how can we support the theater community during the pandemic and beyond? And there's no one better, uh, literally in the world that we could talk to. So welcome, Audra McDonald. Oh, Jonathan, thank you. It's such an honor to be with you. We're big fans of the show. My, my 19 year old daughter was flipping out that I was talking to you today. So it's awesome. Oh my God. You sing when you talk. I can't handle it. Okay. <laughs> my mouth just went dry. I can't. Okay. Um, so here's the thing. I have, I've been nominated for some things, honey. I've never won something that I got nominated for. And so I guess one question I just want to ask is like the first time you, you won, because I think the first of the, because we do need to get that Oscar, which I feel like because you're in the new Aretha movie, honey, I do feel like I smell one coming. I'm just, I'm just, I'm I just don't bringing think that that's going to be it, but thank you. <laughs> well, so, something, I'm just washing my face with the idea of it. I just, I'm just putting it into the universe. Like I just got to speak into existence, but regardless. So the first time you were nominated and you're like sitting, you're like sitting in there. If, if you could just take us back, like, so you're sitting there and you're like, cause did you have that moment? You're like, Oh my gosh, if I win this, like my life might change. Like this could like, and what was that like? Well, um, when I was sitting at the Tony's, um, it was like 1994. And I just, the, the fact that I was there just was already mind blowing. And the whole, whole evening was like just this out of body experience for me. I just, I was sort of, I had floated up and was just sort of watching it all happen from above. You know, it just, it, it, none of it seemed real. Um, and it was this really weird moment from when I think it was Tony Danza, I think actually who opened, is that right? It might've been, I think it was Tony Danza. And he opened the thing to say who the, the winner was. And as he opened it, I had this weird moment. I don't think I've ever said this to anybody where I went, oh, it's my name in there. He's going to say my name. It was this weird moment of like, oh my gosh, it's my name. But I hadn't felt any of that at all until that moment. And then when he opened it, I was like, oh my God, it's my name. And then I heard my name and I was like, this is crazy. And then in that moment, I realized, oh, now I have to talk. I have to say something to all of these people that have meant everything to me my entire life, all these Broadway legends in this audience. And I walked up there thinking, I can't talk. I don't know what to say to them. I don't, I don't know how to say thank you. I don't know my name right now. And I was shaking. I was so nervous. And 
he handed me the Tony and I turned around and I was like, what am I going to do? I don't want to pass out. I don't want to seem like an idiot. I hadn't prepared a speech because I just didn't think it would happen. And as soon as I turned to face this audience, the first face I see in the front row is Carol Channing. And she has this enormous Carol Channing smile. And, you know, I grew up loving her, like free to be you and me, you know, housework and just, you know, all, I just loved her. She, her voice always reminded me of my grandmother. And um, I looked at her face and she was beaming and it calmed me down. So I basically just sort of looked at Carol Channing the entire speech because I was just like, she's going to calm me down. And she just looks, it's just so, it's such warmth and, and joy radiating from her face. And um, I'm, I'm going to be okay. I just felt so comforted by her in that moment. It was the craziest thing. And then come to find out years later that she, um, that she's, um, that she's, she's black. That there, Did you know that? That Carol Channing? No. Yeah. That her, I don't know if it was her father. There's somebody in her family who was black to the point where her mother said, don't have children because they might come out, they might look black um, because of our, you know, our, 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 um, you know, DNA. And then it would be, people would know that you're not Holy all white. Holy <laughs> I never knew. So when I look back on the fact that I was so comforted by looking at Carol Channing, I'm like, well, maybe I just saw, you know, <laughs> black female in there somewhere. And I felt calm by it. I don't know. But yeah, that was my first Tony experience. <laughs> oh, yeah. That like made me like really emotional. Um, <laughs> but you have won six times. You're the most, you're the only uh, actor to ever win a Tony for all four acting categories, which I just like, that is so cool. <laughs> it's, it's, it's. Did um, you? It's Did crazy. you ever get less nervous as no, you won the six? No, 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 no. Um, because everyone has been a shock. Because all my life, all I ever wanted to do was be on Broadway. But I just wanted to be on Broadway. I didn't think, especially as a black girl growing up in Fresno, California, the dream was just to at least get there and be like in the ensemble of something. I just never, I, I my dreams were big, but they weren't as big as they could have been. And as certainly not as big as I tell young kids to dream now. I say, you know, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be an eight-time Tony Award-winning actress. I mean, that's what I tell my, you know, the people that I sort of do master classes for now. I'm like, just dream as big as you possibly can. Um, but my dreams weren't that big. It was just to finally get to Broadway and be in something. So everything that's happened in my career since then has been mind-blowing to me. So I don't, it doesn't compute in a way that it's happened to me. It's something that happened to somebody named Audra McDonald. But I'm, in, as far as I'm concerned, I'm still me. I'm still completely messy. I'm still completely unorganized. I still have never been able to get my hair to totally look right in the 50 years I've been alive. Do you know what I mean? It's all, nothing has changed as far as who I am. Do you know I what I mean? I object no, to no. that last thing though. <laughs> no, no, all that's fine. fine, but like, no, I, I've been watching, I, no, I'm sorry. I've, I've had to, I've, I've, well, I didn't have to, but I've watched every, I'm pretty sure I've watched like most every performance that, that exists of you on YouTube. And just right now I can see you on Zoom. You have mastered this hair. Well, honey. This hair is, it, it, it's all mastery. Good. It's good. you're so sweet. Thank you. But just meaning I'm still I'm still very much me. Do you know what I mean? So yes. all the stuff that and also when you think about the fact that what you do 
what I do for a living is just, it's my passion. It's, it's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. And all I ever want to continue to do is just to evolve as an artist. Do you know what I mean? I want to be better. Um, I'm still very critical of myself. I want to be better tomorrow than I am today. I want to have learned more about my craft tomorrow than I have today. Um, and I want to be a better singer, uh, actress, you know, listener, mom, all of that. I'm all about evolution or trying to evolve and taking big risks and, you know, sometimes falling flat on your face, but that's the whole point, you know, um, of evolution. You gotta, you've got to learn, you've got to push yourself forward. So, um, you have to do it for that and not because I want to win an award because that's, you can only do your work. You can only do your best work. You can't vote for yourself for a Tony. You can't nominate yourself for a Tony. You know, you can't, you, you have, you really have nothing to do with any of it. You know, all you can do is your work. So that's where I put it all. I just sort of put that, that happened to someone over there and that's amazing, but it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't compute for me. You know, I, 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 I feel that a little, I always say like with, in my career, like, I feel like I'm kind of in a constant state of shock. Cause like my goal was to just like live and <laughs> like to be getting to do all of this stuff. It's just like, wow, yeah. like, this is so much more amazing than, and I feel like for me growing up, I felt like, you know, getting away from my hometown, making it on my own. I felt like that was like impossible. And mm -hmm. so it made me, because I felt like in some ways it was I feel like in some ways it made me work so much harder yeah. to like prove myself. I guess I do think though, that because you had to overcome, cause you, you came up in, in Fresno, California and uh, like, when did you start? When did you get come on like the scene and, and Broadway? And like, when did you leave California and come to New York? Yeah, I, I moved to New York um, when I was 18 to go to the Juilliard school. I had gotten accepted in the Juilliard yes. school into the voice department. Um, but I've been doing musical theater at our local dinner theater in Fresno, California from the time I was nine. And that's, that's how I, I got bit by the bug. That's how I knew that this is what I wanted to do. But I didn't, um, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I like to, I, and Fresno is my hometown and I, and I love it, but let's put it this way. Uh, the, the congressman for um, Fresno County is Devin Nunez. Okay. And he's been reelected. So that's, that gives you an idea of the area that I come from. Um, and, and while there are. Devin Nunez. Yes. Is, Cause I was just going to ask, I was like, so what was it like coming up in Fresno? So is Fresno more like central California? Central, completely central in the San Joaquin Valley. It's like, you know, the main city where all the, the farm towns were around it. and they, you know, it's an agricultural center and, and, and power. I don't know. I mean, now that a lot of um, agriculture gets shipped in from other countries, I mean, I don't know if they still maintain the same kind of power that they used to have, but it's a huge agricultural center. Um, and, you know, see, because I don't think people realize this and it's something that's been more on my, I didn't realize like what a deeply racist part of the country that Central California was. Oh, very much, very much. And there are blue pockets and there are liberal people there. And obviously I was, you know, I, my my great-grandfather um, settled in Fresno, California, so the McDonald's have been there for a very long time. Um, but uh, it's they're still, they're still deeply, deeply red and deeply racist people still in, um, in Fresno <laughs> and, and that area. And who is your Audra Mc 
Donald, who was your you mm-hmm. that you looked up to in Fresno? Like when you're like, who do I want to grow up to be? Well, I, you know, I, I come from a very musical family and my, and because I had this incredible dinner theater that I could go and, and perform um, and be a part of their company. Uh, and I went to performing arts high school and a performing arts junior high school. I mean, there are some wonderful things about Fresno. Um, and I was lucky to have all that and it was all public education. You know, this is public schools, mm. um, which are so vital and so important and so necessary to protect my goodness. We have to protect, um, public education anyway. Um, so I, because I had good exposure, I was able to look up to people like, you know, Lena Horne and Diane Carroll and Ella Fitzgerald. And and then, um, you know, I also loved Patti Lapone and Judy Garland and Barbara Streisand. Those were sort of all of my, you know, people that I listened to on a regular basis and people that I wanted to be. My mom um, had the um, Lena Horne, the lady in her music, the the Broadway show, um, the, the cassette recording cassettes and albums then not you youngins with your C- no, CDs are gone but I remember when CDs came I out. was all of, honey I was I was all about I had a cassette I had several cassettes oh right I you have like the little with the boom box with the, the yeah. cassettes okay yeah I was born in 87 so I have like I had experience okay. with, <laughs> with an early 90s culture okay. and uh, I, I I remember I remember Brian Adams honey I remember <laughs> you know that was I feel like that was what permeated the Midwest I don't know what why that I don't know where that Brian Adams reference just came from it it really but, but use it use it use it yeah <laughs> Wait, so, but, so you, you moved to New York when you're 18, 18. Yeah. you, you get into the, like, one of the most, well, probably the most prestigious, prestigious, uh, music school of all time. Yeah. Um, and then you just start, you just become, you go on to become like one of the most prolific performers, most iconic performers, actors, uh, like, of like are of you're literally the one of the most notable iconic actors of it's just it's I just get the chills on my legs when I talk to people <laughs> about uh it's just so cool and I and when you were mentioning at the beginning about you know I'm still myself and I I won't take the dig at your own hair because it was your hair I mean, it's just it's 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 been slates are for so long no, but all the other stuff I know I know what you're I'm saying, saying though, is I that you're, can't do my own hair after all these years I can pay people to do it but I'm still oh, bad at it. oh Very. oh well that but at least you know but at least you know what works for you I know my talents <laughs> yeah but I but also like you know how to you know you got to know how to like direct yes of you know, course even like you know, yes so yes, yeah okay exactly. so that, okay now I see what you're saying okay. that's fine okay so um but I'm just saying when you were saying you know but I'm still myself I think I can even in this 20 minutes I can just feel that from you and I also think you know so you're the the Wikipedia like awards that you've won precedes you but I also think you've been so the work that you've done in advocacy and uh bringing your passion to to the side of of your art that is helping people and brings more people into the fold of art and gives more people a platform and gives more people a chance, I think is really so beautiful. And that's part of, you know, the question of this episode is how can we support theater, the theater community during this pandemic? You founded Black Theater United, um, which is Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's just like about a. It's newer. She's like only a, a month. She's and like a half. month old. A month yes, and a okay, half great. old. Yeah, yeah. I also don't know why I just gave your organization a female pronoun. I, <laughs> sometimes I whatever. So, um, but but prior to that, you have. I mean, you're not new to advocacy, no. and you're not new to. Uh, so I guess, but I guess to kind of dive into talking about your advocacy, if we could just set the stage of like 
So it's 2020. You're minding your own business. It's January. It's February. It's March. You're working on what? What happens? And how mm-hmm. do we set the stage for Black Theater United? Well, I was working um, on a, on the television show, The Good Fight, which is the spinoff of um, yes, uh, The Good Wife. Baransky. Yeah, Kurt, yeah, yes, Christine yes, yes. Baranski. Yes, and and the, the the show takes place, you know, in a, a black law firm in Chicago. And uh, it's me and Delroy Lindo, Christine Baranski, Nyambi Nyambi, Michael Boatman, um, Sarah Steele, Kush Jumbo. So um, it's predominantly black cast, actually. And um, so we were just, you know, we're filming in Brooklyn and, you know, getting more and more freaked out by the days. We're hearing these numbers and everything starting to happen here in New York. And then one day our producers just walked in and said, everybody go home. We got to go home. And so... um, from that, you know, I went and had to go pick up my daughter from college, bring her home and just the, the quarantine. And then as this happened so many times before, you know, we're all dealing with the COVID and the quarantine. And then story after story after video after video starts to come out in the way that they've always been there. Black people have always known these stories, you know, with the, you know, with the uh, Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, the the guy trying to just bird watch in Central Park, you know, um, and then, you know, the George Floyd video happened, and in the way that theater people, I think, have always, you know, we we band together to, you know, raise, you know, when when the AIDS epidemic was happening, you know, and the, the theater community was being decimated, uh, you know, with all the incredible artists and people we lost during that epidemic, you know, Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS was born, you know, you have Hearts and Voices, you have all of these organizations that are raising money for AIDS awareness and research and, 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 you know, advocacy to, you know, to um, protect uh, the community. So, you know, there's that when the whole immigration issue is up, was going on earlier, you know, Broadway people always come together to help and support. And there just seemed to be, as as all of these uh, videos were starting to surface of people being killed and brutalized by white people or police or uh, the, the Black community, it just felt eerily silent from our theatrical community. It just, it felt like we weren't hearing what we needed to hear. And a lot of people with the black people within the community were feeling that like, where is everybody? You know, you, we are, we are here for you. We, we, you know, I down in, I was up in uh, Albany trying to talk to politicians to get um, uh, marriage equality going years ago, you know, marching for, 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 for gay rights and, and, you know, for immigration issues, what and and that's that's just what you do. You you help your fellow man. So it just seemed it just seemed eerily quiet. And so a lot of us started to say, Where what's going on? And a friend of mine, LaChance, an incredible theatrical uh Broadway star, she's a Tony winner, and she just sort of wrote something saying, Where why are the why are we not hearing from the theater community, like the theater websites and whatnot. Why are they not speaking out right now? We haven't heard a thing. And I was texting with LaChance and we were talking about it. And black people within the community were starting to do things within, you know, with themselves. And and there was a Broadway Advocacy Coalition, uh, which is a, a, a wonderful uh, uh, 
advocacy coalition of uh, that was started by um, credible black young black actors uh, in the community that started four years ago um, during the time of Eric Garner's killing and and um, that whole time. And they've been doing incredible work. So they were starting to galvanize again and other black communities were, but we weren't hearing from the theatrical community as a whole. And so LaChance and I were talking about that and we said, what can we do? So we started to gather together some of our friends in the business, people who've been in the business 30, 40 years, you know, like Brian Stokes Mitchell and Felicia Rashad and Michael McElroy, Vanessa Williams, Lilius White, people like that. And um, we just all started, Billy Porter, I've known Billy since 1989, uh, actually, as well. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, amazing. I've known him since First Wives Club, honey, <laughs> since 1994. <laughs> and, like, I, that's when I was first introduced. And then Kinky Boots after that. Yeah, he's always been, he's Billy, even people are saying, we're discovering Billy Porter. I'm like, Billy Porter has been Billy Porter. That's what I'm forever. talking about. Yeah, like, yeah. I've known him since I was seven. Yeah, you, yeah. Like, like, but that, but also, what it actually leads me into this, into this and talking about, you know, with the eerily quietness around, you know, because I think, you know, I have um, some figure skater friends that that kind of were doing some anti that are doing work in, in, in the anti-racism space and figure skating. Because I think it's important like that we whatever space we're in, like that's a good space for us to advocate within because that's, Absolutely. you know, where we have more. Absolutely. So there's a lot, a lot. You have more. Yeah. You have more of a platform. And so we brought we came together and said, what can we do? You know, do we, do we see other uh, black organizations coming together. Is there any way we can do anything to sort of elevate and amplify. And we decided that we wanted to focus, first of all, a lot of us for so much of our careers and a lot of us still have always been one one of a few or the only one in the room. And so we're like, you know, it's hard to bring everybody together when we've all been separated in that way. And kind of you think about it in terms of even slavery too, how families were separated. And so it's like, you know what, we need to sort of like bring everybody together and just start to sort of build a coalition and 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 um, see what we can get done. And so that's how we came to be. And we decided we wanted to focus on the macro as well as the micro. And the macro is the fact that our entire house is on fire. And there's the pandemic of the the of the of the COVID-19 pan- pandemic, but there is also the pandemic of systemic racism and black people being brutalized and, and murdered by the police. And that's an issue that is also a pandemic. One in a thousand um, black men can be expected to be shot at or killed by the police. That those That's how bad the statistics are. And so um, we decided that we wanted to focus on the fact that our entire house was on fire. And then the fact that within that, the theatrical community, you know, absolutely has systemic racism, which needs to be eradicated. So we came together to um, do that, you know, we a lot of the things that we're focusing on, like our first town hall was um, with Sherilyn Eiffel, who is the president of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. And that was to bring not only awareness to obviously that organization, which everybody knows about, but more to bring awareness to the context of the history of where we are in this moment and what we can do with the tools that we have in our hands um, to uh, start to help, you know, with the civil rights issues that face Black people today. And that's voter suppression. That's police brutality. That's making sure that we are counted in the census. That is um, uh, dealing with the way things are being districted um, and, um, uh, you know, what's happening within local elections. Who who are you voting for to be the sheriff or the judges in your town? It all starts on a local level. And so we have been, you know, 
uh, teaming up with uh, people like uh, people at Fair Count, the Fair Count Initiative, which is run by Stacey Abrams, the Fair Fight. Yes, um, their organizations to work on voter suppression and 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 making sure that people, black and brown people, are so underrepresented in the census. Making sure that so we with at Black Theater United wanted to do what we could to sort of like help help elevate those causes as well for people that like don't know about the theater world or like let's just say that there's like let's say that someone who's listening to this is like with their fucking aunt karen and so they listen to this and, and aunt karen says well when this audra mcdonald says that there's systemic racism within a theater like how like yeah. like how does all of this how does this systemic racism show its head in theater world well in 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 things like you know the if you want to look at IATSE, the union that does like the the the, the building and the carpentry and whatnot the union that's sort of the the, the engineers and and um all of that like the yeah all of that that's a union um that i don't even know that i should find out the actual percentage of people that are of color in that union but i it's very low as far as I know, in the years that I've been working on Broadway, which is over 20 years, I can only name in my mind three stage managers that have been mm. black. They're in the in the hair union, in the wardrobe union, in the um, in the costume design, in um, in directors that. You what know, about casting? Oh, I mean, ca- people that actually do the casting. I've never yeah. met a black casting director. I've never met one. Um, in publicity. And then, you know, in terms of producers, you know, just having money doesn't mean you get to produce a show. Now, what is that? What does get produced? Because sometimes I feel like people say get produced, but like a lot of people, this is actually maybe me included. What all goes into like when you say getting getting their shows produced? Getting a theater. Because, you know, there are only so many people who own the theaters. Um, and those are very powerful organizations of people who own the theaters. It's a very specific league. And um, even though there may be plenty of money to back a show or whatnot, um, these people still needed to have sort of a co-producer that gave them like enough white cred in a way. Yeah. To get and that's where you can, I feel like that's really where I was kind of sussing out, not really knowing, obviously, because I don't know very much, but like, I was thinking like theater owners, like when did those families amass that much money that like you're, because I mean, I can't even, I mean, who can even afford a damn condo in, bra- in um, New York yeah, City? Like is, afford like are, renting house. This so, goes way back. You know, these are, this so, is... Right. So if you have the money to own like a four story, like 6,000 seat or 4,000 seat or 900 seat, any sort of like sizable real estate in in Manhattan, Mm -hmm. you have to have money. And I'm guessing that most of those owners are not super new, new to that sort of money and power. No, it's a very small, small, small group of people who have been in power for a very, very long or families, um, organizations have been in power for a very, very long time. So I'm going to connect this question in my triple sow cow, triple loop next (laughs) element right after the break. We're going to be right back with more Audrey McDonald after this. So welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Venice. So, you know, I think a lot of us have seen like behind the music or we've seen like things where we like kind of or like, you know, in the salon, you would assume like there's a front desk person and the front desk person has a relationship with certain stylists. And maybe the front desk person is like friends with the owner. And so there's like politics, right? Like in every industry, there's like politics. Mm-hmm. But so there's the owner of a of a theater. And then is there like a board or is there like, or does anyone have to oversee who owns a theater? Like, where is there transparency around 
well, like there the are, inner workings of this. Well, there are stuff. there's a, um, a league of these producers, but um, I, I wouldn't say that there is a ton of transparency. They, you know, they they are a league, and they um, they they don't have to be transparent because it's they're all privately owned entities, you know. Um, so I think I think it would behoove them as well as, you know, you look at even regional theaters and the way they're run and the boards that are, you know, make up the, the way the regional theaters run and that, you know, there's usually an executive producer and an artistic produ- uh, artistic director and whatnot. <clears throat> Everybody needs to take a look at their own, um, their own, their own house, you know, for lack of a better term. And uh, it, this is an uncomfortable time for people. People don't want to sit in it and sit in the realization that um, they may have been contributing to a part of this problem or just not, or their their privilege has allowed them to not even have to look at this problem because it hasn't affected them in any way. And so um, Cheryl and Eiffel talked a lot about this, get your, get your house in order. You've got to get your house in order. And um, there, you know, there are lots of organizations and coalitions that have come together within the black community and the, and the BIPOC community that are, you know, there's even one organization uh, within the BIPOC community that has already sort of uh, theatrical community that has sort of issued like a 29 page list of demands. Um, and, uh, you know, like I think there's many, many roads to the same destination here and that, you know, you need a multi-pronged approach. Um, but there are a lot of things that that need to be done. And also just to make, um, theater and and the, and and creation of theater um, a a safer uh, psychological space too. I think for people of color, which a, a lot of times it it can and cannot be. You know, it, a lot of times it is not. <laughs> um, and there are a lot of people who talk about the the trauma that they've had. Um, with, you know, in being in specific shows or the way they've been treated or um, passed over or trotted out just to be the face of diversity and then ignored, you know. So it's a, it's a, it's a lot to break down. It's a lot to break down. And the, and the, is there a silver lining? Is the silver lining perhaps that we are now in this sort of pause because theater can't happen right now during this the COVID pandemic. So does it mean that there is time to sort of deliberately and meticulously put theater back together in a way that is more equitable, more diverse? And we're not just talking, like I said, not just talking on stage, like all these things we just mentioned, these are all behind the scenes. The people who are uh, telling the stories, the creative people in the room, um, People who want to be interns, a lot of times you have these young kids who want to be interns, but can't afford to not have a salary and work in New York City. Um, so do we need to institute more, uh, you need to broaden your search, uh, institute ways to maybe create more scholarships so that other people can be more eligible for these interns, uh, these internships, and then study at the, uh, the you know, at the right-hand side, that sounds very religious, but, you know, study uh, next to or work next to um, uh, someone like, uh, you know, a great Broadway director, a great lighting director, a great uh, sound designer, what, and so that they can then, so then we're opening up the pipeline, you know, so that more of that uh, talent, that black talent or BIPOC talent can sort of funnel through and then be a part of this industry, which a lot of times, you know, 
because of the systemic racism within our country and the way this this whole country has been built, those those um, avenues a lot of times are cut off. Um, you 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 can't follow that avenue for a lot of people to the theater um, because it's cut off. I mean, it's, it could start back with public education. You know, public education being. And, and the money is going into public education and public schools being decimated in certain communities, um, take it away or put into charter schools or whatever. And so there's no arts in, in those could be in those public schools. There's no, you know, there's no community programs, nothing like that. And um, I mean, you, you, we all know the story. It just, just, you know, it just becomes a, a domino effect. So there's, a, there's a lot to be done. Um, but the, I think the silver lining, again, if you can find one, is that we 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 have the time now. We have the urgency, but we have the time because so many of us are not working right now. So we can really focus on how we want to be a part of putting theater back together in a way that is um, more equitable, more equal, more diverse. Yeah. I mean, I think... You know, one thing that one of our our, our guests said is um, Ben O'Keefe, he's written about is like, you know, white people of today didn't like choose to, you know, because I think a lot of times white people get so like, well, I didn't do that and I didn't whatever. But it's like white people now didn't wake up and choose to make the system the way that it is. But white people have benefited, benefited a lot from the from system it. as it as it is. Complete, and so yeah. and I think a lot of people just myself included, like. I just didn't know. And I I would have never been able to connect some of these dots about the way that systemic racism has weave it, woven itself into the history of theater and performing arts. Mm-hmm. I was even just reading this thing yesterday that there's some, a lot of sayings go back to, in history, to, um, like, the peanut gallery, for instance. Like, that was, like, that has racist connotations that people just use that so you know, casually, but like, but see, like I, I knew what the peanut gallery is because my family used to talk about the fact that that's where they had to sit. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, these are things that like, we know, we know about, um, but, and, and you know, why people say, well, I didn't know, well, your privileges allowed you to not know. I right. mean, so that in and of itself, I mean, so it's not saying you are an inherently racist person. It does. It's not even that. And it's, it's just that you have benefited from a society that has been built, um, inherently racist. And so awareness is a wonderful thing right now. And look, in the way that, you know, I, I, I'm not gay, but I've absolutely believe in, in, in the, in the rights and, 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 and I've always advocated for LGBTQIA people because they, you know, they, they're human beings. And they deserve the exact same rights that all of us in the same way that people that a lot of people that marched with uh, black people during the civil rights movement of the, you know, 50s, and 60s, the 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s. I mean, you, you have to be allies to each other. And there's a lot I didn't know about the, the discrimination um, against um, LGBTQIA people. But I learned about um, because uh, it's important. So this is a time of awareness. So this is a time of awareness. Um, I had another reason I think we created Black Theater United. I had so many friends, so many white friends texting me and saying, are you okay? I'm so sorry. I just didn't know. And and after a while, it just got exhausting. And I understand that everybody's reaching out and wanting to do the right thing and well-intended. So it's like, okay, well, how do we how do I mean a lot of people I'm saying, okay, you need to go do the work yourself. You need to educate yourself on what's going on. 
And then, yeah, open your eyes. Everybody can become more aware and then we can gather together to get some get some shit done here. But um, there, I, it was exhausting because I there was a part of me that was, it was hard to keep saying to all my friends, yes, you didn't know because you didn't, you didn't have to know. And there's a privilege in that. You didn't know. And it, it, it's a bubble that sort of, you you could live in because that's the way this society has been constructed. But it's well for people like like I always like when it comes to like the militarization of the police force and like the the brutalization of black and brown people at the mm-hmm. hands of the police. I knew how fucked up that was and been like talking about it and like you know like that was like the cudgel that I always use my dad. Well, that and then like HIV social mm-hmm. safety net as it relates to me to be like this is why you need to understand why racism is like present all over the place. Right. For me, I never realized that it, like, it's in science, it's in theater, it's, it's literally in every single, it's not like there was some, you know, impenetrable border around the arts or around like sciences or educate anything that made it, it's, it's, it's the cornerstone of the country. The country was literally built on it. It was built, on, literally built. I mean, the the wealth that was accumulated in the South could not have been accumulated without slave labor. It was it's built yeah. into the country. It's literally the foundation of yeah. this country. And that's what we, people don't understand. And I, I personally think that like we won't ever move forward without I didn't realize that we were going to veer into reparations, but fuck it, <laughs> let's do it. I personally don't think that like the country will heal without that. And it's interesting because growing up hearing the term reparations, like being a small kid in the Midwest, like just growing up in like what I now know is like a super racist propaganda filled place. I didn't I didn't understand because I was just like bored in it. I was like reparations. That's like, but no, it, like that's what happens in a relationship. If a, if a relationship has been fundamentally like betrayed on of trust, you have to like come to the table and be like, this was never dealt with. There's this, you know, this huge disruption that happened in the relationship. And unless you heal that disruption, you can't grow past it. But right. there's never been any sort of coming to the table to like actually heal what is arguably one of the biggest disruptions in like the in what we know as human history. Mm-hmm. It's like Ashley Marie Preston says like there has to be like a willful circumventing of what we know about racial right. injustice right. in order for things to continue to function as they have. Right. Um yeah and there which are, is super Yeah, it's important. There are super and there are interesting um there are interesting models for it. There are ways that uh, that there are ways that reparations uh can look and um, there, there are people saying it'll never happen, but I think, I think there are ways to uh, to approach it. There's a model in um, Chicago. Our TV show even did an episode about it um, with a, a very, very racist. Uh, I don't know if he was a police chief or what, who it, was responsible for so, so much brutality. The victims and the families of the victims were paid, and then courses were taught in. Uh, middle school and I think elementary school about the history of what happened so that that would never happen again. But she, I mean, that's, there's, that's a very specific model already um, in place. And they can look, you know, reparations, you know, we talk about, you know, divesting from the police and investing in, in communities. And I mean, there are a lot of ways um, that it can happen. And I think, just dismissing it sleight of hand saying there's no way that reparations can hand. I think, I think that's, I think that's wrong. And I think that's wrongheaded. And I, I, I think it is going to have to be a part of the conversation 
going yeah. forward. It, and, and, and it's going to have to happen in some way. In my stand-up comedy world, I call that like a hard left when I like start talking <laughs> about something I didn't realize that we were going to, but that was such a welcome hard left and I love that. So uh, y'all, if you just need to like take a quick break, if you need to get some water, if you need to like pull the car over so you can go to the gas station, honey, make sure to put on your mask and we'll be right back with more Audrey McDonald after that. Put your mask on. Put that fucking mask on. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. We have Audrey McDonald. Um, so I think, so uh, So right now, because, you know, you were talking about the founding, or we were talking about the founding of um, a Black Theater United, and, you know, it's like the house is on fire as far as, like, the state of the country, but then there's also this racism within um, the theater world. And so I guess my question is, is once... Uh, fingers fucking crossed like we get a vaccine um and theaters do open someday who's doing it right who 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 do you think is doing it right well i think that's what a lot of the transparency is about and that's one of the things i think people are wanting to um lay bears you know what what how is your organization um what who, who makes up your organization do you are you truly representative of 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 you know um this country how many BIPOC people do you have in your in your organization? How many are in the hair department? Or is this a story? I mean, sometimes it can be something as, you know, as, you know, the 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 type of story that's being told on the stage. And what I do know about Gen Z is and what they are and what corporate America is starting to learn in a very specific and uh, in a real time way is that Gen Z wants to know where their dollars are going and they want to and they and they are quick. I mean, my 19 year old is is quick. She's like, Mom, you're not supposed to be shopping this week. This is blackout. Don't don't shop this week. Or 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 um this particular this particular corporation donated this much money to, you know, this very, very 45. racist. Yeah, exactly. 45 yeah. or whatever, this very, very racist man or this very, very racist politician or such and such and such. So stop uh, so don't put your money there. Gen Z and the, and Gen Z. I mean, I understand there's a whole rabid debate around cancel culture, but um, I do believe that if like an informed consumer is a powerful consumer, you know, and I think corporations are starting to realize that. And I don't think the theater wants to be left behind with that. You know, they don't, because if you, if, you know, people find out that, you know, there's a, you know, a racist such and such or whatever, either in the company or or in the way that this story is being told that's not sensitive or that this theater company doesn't have any black people on their staff anywhere or anything like that gen z finds out about that and they're going to they're going to spread the word i mean just think about just think about what those kids were able to do with that trump rally in oklahoma the way that they were able to buy up all those tickets and make that entire um, stadium empty. Now, whether you agree with their tactics or not, they sent a very cl- clear and powerful message. You know, they have reach. They, and that's, and that, that, I mean, they, they have reach, they have power, they are coordinated. And so, and this, you know, I mean, I think even that was started about by some, the K-pop group, right? That K-pop, they, that, yes. honey, who knew? So all, all I'm saying is, um, they are forced to be, you know, reckoned with and they are awakening 
and and they are recognizing their power. And with the power, like Cheryl and Eiffel said, the tools in your hand, with the power of social media, if they get on social media and say everybody, or even if it's like everybody um, go and those who can go up and show up and, and protest this this show right here because of such and such or such and such and such, um, you, you, the theater world is going to have to contend with that. So um, why wouldn't you want that in and of itself should be enough of a, of a reason? Because if it comes down to the almighty dollar, then great. Why wouldn't you want to make your shows, your institutions, your um, the, the 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 creative staff, the all of that as 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 diverse is as should be, and and the stories told that um, are truly representative and 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 transforming the narrative and all that. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Um, do you see any response to that feedback? I do so I, far. I, yeah, I do. I mean, I we we it's important to you know. Cheryl and I also said you know get it in writing. You know whatever we're trying to do right now, get it in writing because it's a window that's open right now, and we want to affect major change um, before. I mean, cause I'm sure for some people it would be easier just like, Oh, can't we all just get along? And eventually we'll, everybody will calm down and we'll just go back to normal. It, you can't. And we have to strike, strike while the iron's hot. I do know that there are a lot of people who are interested in making change, just how much change that, that remains to be seen, you know, but, and also and it's important to make sure that we don't, you know, a lot of times people will just, especially people in power, just like wait out the anger and then wait out until we're they're over it and we're on to something else now and we're distracted by this over here or this over here and then go about as business as usual. And then it's going to take another sort of horrific video or horrific whatever um, to come down the pike. And then people do something with this moment. Let this moment be a watershed moment. Um you know. Can people stay up with Black Theater United on like online on Yes. To kind of- Yes, we have a, a website. It's Black Theater with an R E T H E A T R E United dot com. Um we have uh, more town halls coming down the pike. Um there's a lot of stuff we're getting ready to announce that we're doing. Um uh, and you can join uh to keep up to date as a member, whether you um identify as black within the theatrical community, um, even if you're just an aspiring artist, or you can join as an ally. So for me, um, I will tell you very quickly, I, when I was like nine, I auditioned for The Wizard of Oz and I really wanted to be the cowardly lion. And then I think I probably called the local community theater like 87 times an hour from like the Friday that I auditioned <laughs> until Monday to see if Were I like made it or not. I, I'm no, I'm pretty sure like I, I, I think I fully harassed them as like an eight year old. Um, <laughs> and then like I didn't even make the chorus because I because I called 87 times on the hour for three days. And so <laughs> I was kind of like very much traumatized from that rejection. And then like never. And then I was like, I'm just going to like be obsessed with like Venus and Serena and Michelle Kwan <laughs> and the Mag- Magnificent Seven, um, you know, on gymnastics. But then in my 20s, uh, you know, being my gorgeous LGBTQ self, yes. um, I was like, I need to learn more about theater. So I didn't really like come into really understanding how amazing theater was and really getting to learn more about the history of it. And the it's just all about the beauty that is theater until... I was in my 20s, which is so sad. And so if there's, I think that there's, I I think there's probably other people, unfortunately, that are similar to me in that respect. And so for other people that are either just now coming onto it, or especially if if there's people my age that have young 
folks in their life, young kids, nieces, nephews, um, whatever. You have a 19-year-old. You are a theater icon. How can people like how can people get bitten by the theater bug especially now that the things are off is there like is there is there videos of theater performances uh let's see well i would introduce them to great movie musicals of the past and of the present i mean i would can you give us a top five uh, i know i didn't prep you for that Oh, you sure didn't prep me for that let me see a top five they don't have to be in an order even if they were just like to get to go to like the miss musical movie the universe pageant like they like we're not even doing top 10 they just they're definitely in the competition oh my gosh it's, i know for me personally moulin rouge would be there because that's first like what like, right really that's, me a, up for yeah, that's a modern musical yeah that's oh. another one that's that's great i i mean you know the thing is Dis, disney in a way has been doing that with these movie musicals that they've been doing all these years um you know it, it's it, for me it's hard right now because there is there are racial issues with some of like, you know, even the top movie musicals that I used to love that were, we weren't represented, but they're still amazing movie musicals. I mean, um, you know, Cabin in the Sky, I would say, but you know, who's that's, that's Lena Horne. That's way back. Uh, you know, Hamil, I mean, people, I'm sure kids are watching Hamilton, you know, and I know there's some controversy around the fact that it's, it, it can be seen as glorifying, you know, these founding fathers who were slave owners and, um, but at the same time, it's a beautifully crafted musical and um, and uh, with brilliant performances and and an incredible choreography, incredible singing, incredible movement, incredible staging um, that it would absolutely make you fall in love with um, the theater. Um, I would say get as many sort of soundtracks of shows that are, are out there right now. Do we call them soundtracks still? Download yeah, you I think download so. them. I mean, I know. Yeah, well, because because that's how I like. I mean, Les Mis. Mm -hmm. um, a, like a um, chorus line um, was one that was huge for me. Dream Girls, Miss Saigon. Yeah, messed, I because I, I, I listened to that. Like, yeah, because that that Boy Doy song yeah. that messed me up. Yeah. I mean, my sister and I used to scream sing to that. Like <laughs> driving through like the rural streets of America. Right. If people could like when like when in a world where there are shows like that, people could go see. Coupled with just listening to it, because that's maybe all you could do, because maybe you can't get the film of it. Then what would your top five be? Oh. Like your top five, like of a mix of like, just listen to it for now, because like there's probably not a recording of it. Slash when things open, you got to go see this one. Okay, well, Ragtime. <laughs> I'm going to say something that I've been in, but I think that was a, a musical that was uh, very important then and feels in some ways more, more uh, you know, uh, relevant now, the state of things we're in. I mean, and I played a character who literally, a black woman who is killed by police, police brutality, you know, mm. um, and, and it's dealing with, a, you know, a, a country that is in total racial turmoil, which is where we are right now as well. So that, mm. but, but it's also an incredibly crafted, beautiful musical. Um, oh my gosh, you were just wrecking me. I mean, I, I'm a huge Stephen Sondheim fan. So Sweeney Todd is another one that I would say get an, a recording of things that you could see once we're back up and running. Well, you know, Hamilton, but you don't have to, you don't have to go to a theater to see that anymore. Um, obviously I know D dear Evan Hansen's really speaking to the children. I, it, it's so hard for me <laughs> because I, right now it's hard to know what's actually going to be around. I guess like, 
I'm curious about like when you were like, oh, like those what those were that caught me. Yeah. Yeah. It was dream girls. It was uh, uh, a chorus line that I listened to over and over again. It was um, Amos Behaven that I listened to over and over again. It was um, uh, A Star is Born with with Judy Garland, that version. That's a movie musical that blew me away and that performance and and her history. That's another one that killed me and got me over and over again. Evita was another one that, you know, just I memorized every single word to and ended up playing that part when I was 16. That's another one that was, uh, The Wiz was another one that I would act out the entire show um, in my in my bedroom and I'd use my walk-in closet. I had this little tiny walk-in oh. closet and I'd use that as my backstage area and I'd come out and I'd have the record player playing and I'd do the parts and then I'd go back into the closet and change into the next thing and then come back out. <laughs> yeah, those were the ones that were, I mean, really, oh big for me, really, really big for me. So that's what hooked me. You know, Guys and Dolls is another, I think, great, great, great musical. Once again, there's not necessarily all the representation that we want to see in a lot of these musicals, but it was still a great musical. So again, it's it's a, it's an odd time for me to be answering these questions because there's a whole other sort of light in which we look at them and you look at your childhood and you say, okay, that moved me and it made me fall in love with the theater. But um I also realized that there wasn't that much representation, except for things like Dreamgirls and, you know, or and, and Amos Behaven or uh, The Wiz, things like that. I wanted to, I, because we took a few hard rights, I just got to ask you a few more things about like performing. Okay. Obviously, you are a prof- you're a prolific theater actress, which are also a prolific TV actress, honey, you're in movies. So one question that I wanted to ask you, how is it different for you, like preparing yourself to perform like in front of people, like as far as on stage versus like when it's cameras in your face? Because I also got to see your gorgeous portrayal of Billie Holiday, honey. That was, (laughs) yes, we left us uh, so good. (laughs) But so how does that feel different preparing for those roles when there's like a camera in your face? Because I feel like it's different adrenaline. Well, it's a different, it's a different muscle that you end up, uh, flexing when you actually get to the actual work of doing it. But the prep is all the same. You still got to find out exactly who the character is. You got to learn everything you can about them. You got to understand every single motivation for every, every moment they have within the story that you're telling. And that requires great preparation. And so all of that is the exact same. The difference is when the camera is right in front of you, um, you know, as opposed to being in the theater where you have to like, make sure that every emotion, every word, all that is, is hitting the back wall because you're trying to fill a space that can be have as little as 400 people in it, but it can have as many as 5,000 people or even more in the theater. So you've got to be able to fill, you got to be able to take the stage and fill that space. So even the people sitting in the very, 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 very back row are still having the same sort of visceral experience as people in the front row who have a better, you know, uh, are closer to your face. They, you have to be able to get all that emotion back there. Um, the camera is right in front of you. So there is a saying, um, I can't remember who's a famous actor who said this, but you have to think very loudly when you're doing camera work. Mm. So all the same emotion, uh, the issues, all of that are all still just as big, but it's being thought in a, um, a very loud way, but not presented in a big way because the the camera is right there. So that's the difference. That's the main difference. So it's just a different set of muscles that you have to sort of flex. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I'm trying to think of like a, I don't know, I guess it's like if you were doing something, it's, you know what it's like? It's like you're doing your floor routine. I'm trying to do a gymnastics um, sort of analogy. Oh, yes, give it to me you're doing a floor routine and then you're doing some of those same tricks on a balance beam. 
So a balanced beam has to be much more specific and you just got, you like, you have to hit your mark here. And if you go too far, like if you hit the wrong mark, you fall off the balance beam or you go out of frame, you know? So it's that sort of specificity that happens on in film and, and, and television where the camera's right in front of you, as opposed to on the floor where you're still doing the same movements and all that. We're not a lot, a lot, a lot of the same movements, but you've got the space, you got to fill it. You got to, you know, I mean, it's a different thing. I mean, I think that's how I would, <laughs> I feel like I just got like a real life, like, like lesson about my life. Like, okay. So, um, you've performed all over the world. I mean, you've done like operas. You've like, you played in like every gorgeous theater known to humankind. <laughs> um, this is another thing I didn't prepare you for accidentally. What was like your favorite one? Like, what's like the one that you think about where you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're just like not traveling on planes right now. I just like that, like that performance, like that oh, theater. Oh, well, you know, I can think of one. I did, I did a performance in Madrid. I was so nervous because I, I it was my first time performing in Spain, my first time performing, you know, at, at all there. And I was, and it was just me. It's not like I was playing a part. I was just me doing an Audrey McDonald concert. And I thought, do I have any fans in Spain? Is anybody going to know who I am? Is anybody going to show up at this concert? So I tried to learn as much Spanish as I could just to sort of say hello at the beginning. And my concerts are very loosey-goosey. I chat. I, I I never know what I'm going to say. I just get out there and I start talking and then I s- sing my songs because I want people to know who I am, you know, by the time it's over. So if I'm very scripted and very prepared, it's not me. And and uh-huh. that doesn't feel right. And, you, and, and that's what you want for a concert, for me anyway. So I... Um, I prepared a little bit in Spanish. And then at one point I said, I got to go into English and I'm so sorry. I just don't know enough Spanish to continue. So I hope you'll forgive me as I start to speak English. This audience was still to date one of the best audiences I've ever had. They were so loving. A lot of them knew all of my songs and were singing along with me. And even though a lot of them didn't speak English, the ones that did were like helping to shout out translations for me. And then like they packed the stage door afterwards. It took me like an hour and a half to get out of there because they were all, they were like, it was, I've never felt more welcomed and loved. And, and so I, 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 I was not expecting it at all. I was, and they, and they were musical theater fans. I was so moved, uh, you know, and I love Spain anyway. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful country. Oh my gosh. And the food. So you talk about places that I wish I could go back to right now. Spain is at the top of my list. Last two rapid questions. Okay, so this this first to last question is, has there ever been a time, and you don't have to say who, because don't want to put you in like any sort of spot, okay. but just because I love you <laughs> and I think this would be a really validating daydream. Has there ever been a time where you're up for a Tony or a Grammy or an Emmy against someone who was... Like, maybe they fucking, like, said something about, like, just someone who you just did not fucking like. Because we all have those people that we just, you know, for whatever reason, like, did not fucking like them. And I have a couple. I do. I do. But was there ever a time where, and obviously I have not one, so I would not have had this experience yet. And maybe that's why I'm asking the question. But has, and, and obviously even nominated for so many times, it could be like 47,000 fucking people that were the nightmare. So it's not like you're really selling anyone under the bus, but... um. Has there ever been a time where, like, you won and there was just, and this is a yes or no question, where you fucking won and someone who you could not stand, like, you beat them, yes or no? I will put it this way. There was a time when I, uh, when I did start to have some Broadway success 
that I ran into someone um, at uh, an event. This someone has now passed away, so it doesn't matter. But there was someone who was very judgmental and and not supportive and just downright mean to me in my days at school. And uh, he was there to see this concert of this very amazing, very famous uh, Broadway singer. And I was there too to see this person uh, perform. And this person had become a very good friend of mine. Um, and at the time when I was at Juilliard, I was not even allowed to sing for her in a master class. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's Barbara Cook. They're both, the people I'm going to talk about are both dead. Barbara Cook was, you know, and she was, and I was, and my, my, um, my husband at the time, I have a new husband now, was playing in her band and, and she and I were wonderful friends and we performed together. And this teacher who had been so mean to me at, at school and just so dismissive, you know, like saying things like, well, you know, your jury was crap and I guess all you want to do with it is Broadway anyway, so fine. I'm just like, just really awful to me. And I ran into him uh, backstage and he was coming to sort of heat praise on Barbara Cook. And I was just like, oh, hello, Mr. Such and Such. How nice to see you. And he was like, well, Things certainly worked out for you, didn't they? Remember? I told you. And I was like, yeah, I remember everything you said to me. <laughs> and that's the only And moment. was she right there too? Oh, yeah. She was there. She doesn't really, she was sort of like, oh, you know each other? I'm like, oh, yes. I know you. And oh, in I that, that moment, I was able, I mean, that's like, I mean, as far as, you know, being nominated against other people, I, that I, I don't think about, but that was the one time where I was like, Yeah. Look where I am and look how much you pissed on it as I was trying to get yes. there. <laughs> I just love a fucking Julia Roberts, like big mistake yes. moment. I can't help it. I just I like, I, I love that. Big mistake. Yes. yes. So then I, my final question is, um, so Black Theater United is obviously, that's a place where we can follow, stay in, stay in touch with. Yes. Um, but I think in, in this time that we've had in quiet uh, and outside of, if you are new and follow Audrey McDonald, honey, but is there any other people in that are in the theater space, especially when it like, is there in the hair space, in the set space, in the casting space, in the, just, is there other like kind of players in the space where it's like now that people know, and there's other change makers or innovators mm -hmm. that you've been particularly like, Ooh, that's cool. Or like, Ooh, yeah, I'm learning like, like for other people that want to see more change and want to be able to like keep the promise of the transparency. Like you had mentioned that one company that did like the 29 written demands. Oh, that was just an organization, a BIPOC organization of people who came together and, and wrote a letter um, about, you know, what they felt about white American theater and then um, and then uh, came out with a list of demands uh, just recently. I mean, every like I said, they're for everybody's coming to it in their own way and 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 um, and doing what they can to uh, affect change in their own way. And that was a very, very specific list of demands that they came out with. Um, there's also another group, the Broadway Advocacy Coalition, which I've spoken to, and they're, they're um, a, 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 an organization with young young people that spearheading that that are working to bring about sort of racial change within the community as well. Um, uh, you know, I think, I think the best thing for people to do, you know, that are fans of, of, uh, the Broadway community and, and want to be like allies is to, to want to be allies is to s literally start to educate yourself. 
I think that's that's the best thing. I, I mean, there are books you can read about it. There, are, you know, so you want to talk about race or white fragility, or um, there there are books out there, or just read about some of the history. Even if you wanted to read about the history of black theater and how it came about, you could even do that. I mean, just start to educate yourself, and then um, be informed. Be informed. I think that's that's the most important thing I could say right now. I love that. I guess too, just like as a follow up question, it's like, like, is there like a, like an Alexandra Ocasio Cortez of like the theater Twitter community that's like, oh, I, this, this is the private account of the theater owner who said he'd fucking do it and he's not. <laughs> I mean, like that. Like, is there any like investigative journalist? Like, it's like for the people that did the research, but now they're like, I want to fucking be like, I'll never come to your theater again <sighs> if you don't, whatever. Like, like, is there anybody like that on Twitter in the theater community that's real, like, and if you don't know right now, that's not a big deal because I can research it myself. Too. I just didn't know if you're like, ooh, their right. Twitter's on fire right now or their Instagram's well, on fire. Well, there's a lot of people who's, you know, I, you know, I think people who are doing it in lots of different ways. I mean, I, you know, I think uh, Karen Olivo is somebody that's, that's a very, I mean, she even, you know, she, yeah, that's someone that I think people should follow. I think uh, Adrian Warren is someone that's very active and aware of everything going on right now. LaShance is another one that's very active and very aware um, uh, there's so many, I mean, we all are, I mean, just follow, you know, follow theater artists of color, any theater artists of color that you can find on Twitter, follow. And I, you know how the, you know, the, the alg algorithm will then say you should be following it. Yeah. Everybody. I mean, there are a lot of people and I, I guess there's Instagram too, of course, a lot of people are, are, are speaking up in very powerful ways right now. And, and, going about affecting change in their specific way. I mean, you know, I, Renee Elise Goldsberry is another one who is very politically active. Look at what Amber Riley is doing and that, and Amber, sweet, mm. amazing Amber Riley, who was a, not only, you know, you know, from the television success she's had, but she's a theater artist as well. And she's brilliant in Dreamgirls. Hopefully she'll get to bring her Dreamgirls over to this side of the, the Atlantic, but she was brilliant as Effie and Dreamgirls over them in London. And, um, she is on fire with what she is doing and how she's trying to shout about change and, 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 and create change and, and make people aware. Um, there's lots of us out there. Um, yeah, know us. <laughs> yes. what I'd say. Andre McDonald, I, I, I'm to the point in the podcast where I, I, sometimes I call it yogi recess. It's like, if you go to a yoga class and like, you really wanted to like do your like, you know, like revolve triangle, but they weren't doing twist that day. And you're like this fucker. I really wanted to do like, <laughs> in, like inverse, like twisting things. Is there anything that we, that we like that you'd like to hit on that we haven't? Hit no, on? no, no, no. We did all of it. We did down dog. We did twist. <laughs> we did all the inversions. We got our inversions. Yes, we yes. got our inversions in. I feel very good about this. Thank you. It's been such a joy well, talking to you. You. you too. And I just can't <laughs> wait to continue to follow you and continue to see everything that you do. So thank you so much for everything that you're doing. And thank you for and what you're doing too as well. That's wonderful. It really is. That's right. It really is. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was record-breaking Tony, Grammy, and Emmy Award winner, Audra McDonald. She's also the co-founder of Black Theater United. You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Curious with JBN. Our socials are run and curated by Emily Bosick. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, Emily Bosick, Ray Ellis, Chelsea Jacobson, and Colin Anderson with associate production by Alex Murphy. 